What do you think would be the biggest concern from tenants? Like, what are you hearing as you read these articles about Bill 184? I think it's the whole repayment structure. And if something can't be settled on, um, then, then what happens? Because from you know my understanding of it, the landlord can set what the repayment plan is. And if the tenant doesn't get any uh, legal aid or to help them with that and they can't afford it, like what is going to happen? They, they're going to get kicked out and go where? What are they going to do? Welcome, everybody. I'm Adrian. This is KT Confidential, the real estate podcast. And I am joined today by Heather Karloff, one of our top producing agents. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to do the podcast with you. It's been a little while and I'm excited to uh, get back in there. Yeah. Thanks for coming on today. How was your long weekend? It was busy. It was a busy long weekend. Uh, Lots of people out looking at houses, even though the weather was a little bit hit and miss this weekend. It was uh, it was still pretty busy with lots of showings and uh, rural properties, townhouses, super busy time for them right now. Yeah, I was uh, chatting with a client yesterday who we just recently uh, conditionally sold their home, which uh, hopefully by the time this airs, the house will be sold firm and we'll be out looking for a new house for them. But they were asking me, they're constantly asking me for market updates and um, their property in particular was a rural property. And it's just unbelievable the, um, the number of people that have really switched to looking at purchasing rural homes. I would say 90, well, almost 100% of the people that came through, and certainly of the people that were offering to purchase, because we had, um, I think we had five offers on the property, and every one of the offers were from people moving out of the city. Yeah. So people going from these tight, confined urban homes and condos even, to this five acre, densely treed rural estate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, the thought of it is great. And they're, they're, um, I'm actually surprised though, because it's a big transition to make from that. It is. And, you know, I had a client um, say to me, yes, the home is, is beautiful. Not home in particular and visiting it. You're just completely wowed uh, by the property. But it could be for some people living the day-to-day there. So, like, I love the house. Um, My big concern was who cleans this driveway when there's snow? And that's something I would have got stuck on. And that house wouldn't have been for me. I like being around other people, mostly because I'm afraid. And that's that's just way too far out for my liking. But I know a lot of people just absolutely love the idea of it. So you cut out there for a second when you said because you were afraid of what? The dark. Oh, the dark. <laughs> you never catch yeah, me for sure. around outside at night at that property. Nope. <laughs> no, no. I, get I mean, although I think that once you do it, you eventually it becomes, I mean, I would think that uh, eventually it would become very peaceful and comforting. Yeah. Although there is a certain degree of reassurance when you live in an, a more urban area that you have neighbors next door. So if you have a problem or you run out of milk, it's a very short walk to to get some help or get a cup of milk for whatever reason. <laughs> I've had to go next door to get an egg or two before. Oh, really? Eh? Yeah. yeah. Although I feel like that's totally not allowed now. <laughs> yes. No, it definitely wasn't during uh, 2020. That's for sure. No, not knocking on anyone's door. Um, but, you know, I have had um, a client I was uh, speaking with and they want to move out of, you know, the, um, the city area or a busy town. And uh, this one particular client is going all the way up to Bracebridge. 
Wow. And they bought a pre-construction out there. Madame has some pre-construction homes out there, huge lot, lots of space. And they're going to be making that move because they both are able to work from home. So we're just going to see more and more people do that. And I think, especially if we move into a second wave, people are going to be like, okay, this is going to be um, a long-term thing. Um, and they're going to want to move out. Absolutely. Well, I mean, just affordability in general is pushing people much further out of the city. So many people are commuting. Many people have the flex work arrangements where they can work from home, either indefinitely, you know, all throughout the week, or maybe they have to make the occasional trip in. But it just becomes more feasible um, because of their flexible work arrangements and affordability. Yeah. um, Which leads into our conversation nicely, because we're talking about um, the condo market a little bit. Uh, I know it's something you wanted to touch on and also the rental market uh, and also specifically bill 184 that's out a lot of news on that and a lot of controversy uh, from um, people picketing and protesting against it. And uh, it's an interesting conversation, especially for us owning a property management company uh, and obviously having to deal with many tenants. Uh, And then from the real estate perspective, um, obviously being involved with many investors and buying rental properties and renting them out and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people are calling this new bill, Bill 184, the eviction bill. And as the uh, landlord and tenant board opened up today, I believe it was, um, they're quite worried that we're going to start seeing a lot of evictions where tenants haven't been able to pay their, their rent over the last couple of months. And now what happens? And I know... Um, I've been hearing a lot about uh, payment plans being worked out with landlords as an option to kind of catch up on past rent. Um, but a lot of um, tenants, unfortunately, are going to end up signing something either they don't understand or that they actually can't afford. And um, unfortunately, I think with this new Bill 184, it's going to speed up that eviction process now. Landlords can skip going um to the to the board um, and evict the the tenants. They have ten days to kind of um, argue that point. And if they miss that ten day window, then you know we could be looking at uh, mass evictions. Yeah, I don't. From my perspective, I mean, when I you know we've been involved in hundreds of leases, uh, both representing tenants and landlords over the years. We've been we've had the uh, the Cremendi Trot team has been running for. Um, about 10 years now and you know throughout those 10 years we've had many interactions with both parties and from my experience um i've you know i don't know i I think the people complaining are a very small percentage personally like there's not the only people i've ever ran into that were problems are like i haven't had any slumlords per se i've only experienced tenants that are causing difficulties with either um, abusing the property or um, not making payments on time and that sort of stuff. And I think the big thing here is landlords have been complaining for a very long time that if they get stuck with a bad tenant, it's extremely hard to get rid of them. I don't question that there are bad landlords out there. Um, Of course there are. But I, I, I can't fathom that it's, you know, people are being evicted without reasonable cause uh, in most of the cases. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, what the problem comes down to is a lot of the landlords do get a bad rep, like you were saying, slum, slum lords, which 
that's not really the reality of it, where it is a lot of um, smaller landlords that may have one or two properties, and but not having the rent paid for multiple months is a huge strain on on them financially. And um, I don't know what, where like where does the give come? Is the landlord needs to pay their bills too, and then tenants that are in there, even though they're a great tenant, can't pay. So hopefully these repayment programs that they set up in the the tenant can offer up a repayment plan as well um, and work something out. So hopefully that will help um, negate some of these mass evictions that people are predicting. Um, yes. And once, well, once you've got a great tenant in there too, just I sometimes I think taking a little bit less per month outweighs having a little bit more and, not, and a not so great tenant that doesn't take care of the property. Absolutely. Well, that's one of the things that we're big advocates of, uh, especially when listing a property for rent, depending on the market conditions, of course, and there's a lot of variables to consider. But one of the strategies that we often recommend is sometimes pricing it slightly aggressive uh, on the low side, um, marginally, like even 25 bucks a month lower than what a comparable unit may rent for, but just to get a bigger audience so that you have a better pool of people to select from. Because uh, when you're selling your house, price is probably the most he heavily weighted component of the offer. You just want top, top dollar. You don't necessarily care so much about who's going to live there uh, mm -hmm. or what they're going to do with the property. But when you're renting it out, absolutely you do. Price is obviously a factor. It's an investment. It needs to make sense for you financially. You want to get a good return, but you also want to get paid. Yeah. And, you know, consistently the people in, in any, so I was in the automotive industry before real estate and even in the car business, the people that would willingly and happily pay top dollar were the ones who couldn't afford to. Yes. So, you know, you may, you may get a dozen offers and there may be that one oddball that's willing to pay significantly more than everybody else. I highly recommend you do your due diligence and don't get caught up in the numbers in those cases because those people oh often can't afford to. Absolutely. I have the best story to share about that last year with a condo and someone came in, the realtor never notified me that they were bringing an offer on a place we had for lease. And our client came in a hundred dollars more than we were asking per month. And I started doing uh, some uh, research on this person and nothing about them checked out. We still had a face-to-face -face meeting with them and she came in reeking of weed. And I was like, Oh goodness. Um, she, she just was not the type of candidate that we were looking for. And, and that's the whole thing. Like she offered the most amount of money, but she made no sense to yeah. hire. And we obviously did not choose her to yeah. uh, be our landlord. Yeah. Well, I had um, a number of years ago, I had a landlord that we were representing uh, who was extremely picky about who he brought in uh, to a fault uh, where he, you know, we had some really solid tenants proposing to rent the property and I had recommended at least half a dozen of them as viable candidates and people that I would personally consider for my own property. Um, but he refused them for reasons that I would say I probably weren't, probably shouldn't have been reason enough to not approve somebody. Um, but nevertheless, the person he ended up choosing was one of these people that offered more money. Um, he, he didn't, he had no interest in meeting them. He didn't want to go through that. Uh, so we just accepted it on the whim. He'd been waiting for a long time. He had denied a number of tenants. I think at that point, he just wanted to get somebody in and pay. They were wow. the worst tenants ever. They were, in the end, they were probably five months behind on rent, four or five oh. months, so about $10,000. Um, and they caused upwards of $20,000 of damage to the property. 
Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, um, too good to be a true. learning experience yeah. for him. What's that? It's too good to be true scenario, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, unfortunately, he learned the hard way. But uh, the next time around, he took my advice very quickly. He was still very hesitant. I was like, listen, remember what happened last time? And he didn't listen to me. But um, he's had good tenants in there ever since. Um, but yeah, it's it's funny how that works. But the people that can't afford it are always willing to to pay top dollar. Yeah. Yeah. So, just to get through there. Yeah. Well, I remember going back to the car business again. And I had some people that would buy an extremely expensive car compared to their income. And they would buy everything to go on it, like rust proofing and all the accessories and warranties. And you would run a credit application and they were bankrupt a month ago. I'm like, oh, wow. What are you thinking? Why do you? Oh, this is, coming to do that. Like, like, you didn't learn your lesson the first time? No, I guess I, they don't, right? And they just, it's a circle and it just keeps happening, right? Yeah, it's sad. It's just people not being educated on, you know, uh, financial, um, fi- not being fina- financially educated and how to spend their money and how to invest it and et cetera. So it's just a vicious cycle. It's hard to get out of. People get so sucked into buying things and having shiny objects. And keeping up appearances, right? Exactly. And that's it, not long ago, we started the whole money savings campaign and um, we created the, um, the, I don't know what you call it, e-brochure, e-catalog or whatever that runs through 37 tips on saving money. And one of the things that it talks about is people keeping up with the Joneses and trying to learn how to not get sucked into that. And I'm a big advocate of it because it's like, I know a lot of people that have very nice and lavish things, but I do not believe they should or could or or really should afford them or can't afford them. Um, But to each their own. No, I totally understand that. And, you know, um, myself, my family and I made some changes as well. Um, and we constantly try to check ourselves with that because it's so easy to get sucked into keeping up with the Joneses. And, you know, we um, ended up with a much smaller house than we had a couple of years ago, but we're happy with it. And we're moving our money and putting it in other things and investing in other places and just um, trying to have the biggest house or the flashiest whatever. And um, we're very cautious of stuff. My husband, far much more than me though, he is the price mattress supreme. <laughs> I always joke with him that one day our divorce papers will read price matching as the cause. <laughs> they, but you know, he, he saves us a lot of money and all those little things, I, I do admit, they all start to add up. And um, yeah. Yeah, he's he's definitely not a worry about keeping up with the Joneses, but yeah, it does affect some people more than others and can get you into a lot of trouble. Yeah. It's something that I've learned over the, cause I, I don't know. I never struggled with wanting fancy things, but in a previous relationship of mine, I was with somebody who was very, uh, very much, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. It slips my mind right now, but they were, you know, they always bought nice things and they had to have the best quality of everything. And, um, you know, I, I got sucked into that for a while. I was buying name brand clothing and all this expensive stuff. And I, it was very easy to get consumed by it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I can't have that, you know, non-name brand item. Um, but I learned to very quickly adjust my habits afterwards. And then, you know, I realized like, what a waste of money, you know, unless you're at a point where it doesn't affect you and everybody's different. Everyone's finances are different, but 
you know, something that your people should sit down and reconsider. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, making sure you're growing, you know, savings as well as having all those fancy things. And what do they yeah. say? Um, pay yourself first, like yes. as savings, and then you know. That does, that's doing. let's differentiate between treat yourself first yeah. and yeah. pay yourself first. Two very different things and have a very different outcome. Yeah, absolutely, it does. I so getting back to the whole um, condo market and rental and the bill one eighty four. I think one thing that, you know, I, I think maybe tenants, some tenants, maybe some of the tenants that are complaining about this bill um, feel like they're entitled to something that I, I disagree with. Like I've heard stories and I've watched um, videos of people protesting and saying that the referring to the landlords as being these wealthy people who should give the tenants a break. Uh, and in some cases, perhaps that's true. Maybe there's these big, there are big corporations that own multiple properties, hundreds of properties. And, um, you know, perhaps they have the financial means to do that, but it's still a business and they're still, you know, running a business and, um, you know, it's in their right to be profitable. And there are some people that maybe are making exceptions and waiving payments or whatever, but a lot of people that own these properties that are being rented, they're privately owned. Uh, yeah. It's the owner's retirement plan. Mm -hmm. um, the rent in many cases doesn't cover the carrying costs. Um, in fact, um, you know, there's many people we know, many clients we have that are investors and landlords, and they're out of pocket hundreds of dollars every month in order yeah. to keep this property, uh, let alone being able to waive payments. Yeah. Right. And then the other aspect of it is the bank, uh, the landlord has the responsibility to pay the bank. The bank's not saying, okay, we'll forgive you for those payments during the pandemic. You don't have to repay those. They do have to. And they have to come up with a repayment plan of, of, of whatever the bank's prescribing. Uh, and each one may be a little bit different. But nevertheless, they do have to pay it back. Um, and that's what the tenants will be responsible for, too. Yeah. And I think it puts a lot of landlords under a tremendous strain, especially if they have say two rental properties and a mortgage of their own, like where the money, where does it come from? Like they still have the bills to pay as well. And it can be, like I said, tremendous strain. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now the other thing I think with tenants is understanding that as a tenant uh, and renting properties, one of the things that um, you, you just kind of have to accept is that, you know, when you, by the house, you have a little bit more control or you have complete control, assuming you're making your mortgage payments. And if you want to live there indefinitely, you can do that. As a tenant, you have to recognize that you're renting a property. You don't own it. And you, you, the landlord may at some point want to sell it, um, which means you may be forced to move. Um, so I think a lot of tenants need to except that they're going to be a little bit more transient. They're going to be moving a little bit more frequently than that they have chosen to own. Yes. Yeah. And with that means that, you know, your finances will change because as the rental market increases and we'll chat about your um, example in a second with the condo in, in Burlington, prices mm -hmm. will go up and you have to budget for that. Yep, absolutely. And um, if, what is it after, November 2018, the rent control in Ontario is gone for new builds. So that's something that I think a lot of tenants don't know about when they go to lease someplace that 
next year your tenant can your landlord can raise up that rent at any percentage for anything built or is it extensively remodeled as well since 2018 in November and um, although you would think a landlord with a good tenant like I mentioned before wouldn't up it too much but there still is that that possibility so touching on that condo from last year we leased out a condo uh, in Burlington on Plains Road and we listed it for $17.75 and that was about the going rate it's a uh, one bedroom plus den and ended up leasing it for $18.25. We're putting it up again this year. Um, it'll go up this, uh, later this week. And we're going to be uh, listing it for $19.25 because that's the going right now. And it has just jumped up that much in the last year. And this is west end of Burlington. So as you get closer, Oakville and then in Toronto, things are definitely changing a little bit there. But the rent um, has definitely increased year over year. Absolutely. Um, well, that brings a good point too. So, <clears throat> excuse me. The a lot, a lot of landlords I've dealt with. Uh, so, one in particular last year, we sold a couple of rental properties of theirs, and they had owned those for around seven to eight years, and never once had they increased the rent. And during that time, they had the same tenants the entire time. They were good tenants. They always paid their bills. Uh, the places were a bit dirty and run down, but it's kind of what you expect as a landlord. You you, um, you need to expect that you're going to have to repair the property before you sell it. Uh, although you may get great tenants to take care of it, but it's not always the case. They're not going to respect it the same as an owner would. Um, and they told me that they didn't want to increase the rent because they had great tenants. And this kind of goes back to what you're saying, but I am a big advocate of making sure you, with a few exceptions, you should increase the rent at every opportunity because your example now, so you rented it for eighteen twenty-five last year. Now you're going to put it up for a hundred dollars more per month, so nineteen twenty-five. So let's say hypothetically you didn't have to get a new tenant because the tenant was staying. This year you'd be allowed to increase the rent by two point two percent. So that would take your rent from eighteen twenty-five to eighteen sixty-five. Still $60 less than what market rent would be. Mm -hmm. So if that tenant had to move, they would be in and they wanted a similar unit, they'd be paying 60 bucks more per month to make that move. So even though the tenant is an excellent tenant, um, they're still doing well. They're still coming out ahead um, and saving a significant amount of money per month as opposed to moving. Yeah. So there, there's few exceptions where, you know, if the market does come down or maybe you did ex exceptionally well, like last year, we did have somebody, uh, a tenant, uh, move into a property in November and they were paying top dollar. It was very competitive. And this year, that number is still more or less market value. So we spoke with the landlord. They decided not to increase it. And that was, you know, I think uh, a great decision um, and a fair decision. But in most cases, I think you should. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, even that marginal bit, you might not think is a lot, but over time that does really add up and it's stuff, you know, to go towards the cost that you have as a landlord. And I, yeah, yes. I would 100% recommend it. I get having a good tenant and you wouldn't want to go, you know, if you're in that position to increase it to whatever percentage you want, I uh, wouldn't be a smart move, but a marginal increase I think would be, um, you know, the smart thing to do. Well, and as, a, as an investment too. So these uh, two properties that we sold last year, uh, they were both in Guelph. They were both um, single family residential homes, but they both had, both had legal accessory apartments in the basement. 
And because the landlord had never increased the rent, they were significantly below market value. And you can't just kick a tenant out um, and and increase it. So when it came to time to sell, it was it was a challenge because the buyer for both was uh, a high probability to be an investor. And an investor doesn't want to buy a property with a tenant paying a fraction of market rent. Right. And if they are, it's reflected in a lower purchase price. Absolutely. Now, whatever happened with that, did he did he move out? Um, so there, so one tenant stayed, um, the other tenants, they, uh, both willingly moved, uh, before anything took place. Um, I think one of them, they were planning to anyways, and the other, yeah, the other people, because of the uncertainty of whether or not the new buyer, the new owner would want it for personal use versus, um, keeping them as an, as a tenant, they decided, well, we'll just move anyways, because if the person does wants to use it for themselves and we don't want to have to sit here and wait to the last minute to find out. So they, they chose to move too, but the, um, you know, so it worked out for everybody in the end, more or less, there was one tenant that decided to stay, which I'm sure they're probably still there and paying not much, um, but they've paid their bills consistently. So they were a good tenant from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, I think, uh, what do you think would be the biggest concern from tenants? Like, what are you hearing as you read these articles about Bill 184? I think it's the whole repayment structure. And if something can't be settled on, um, then, then what happens? Because from you know my understanding of it, the landlord can set what the repayment plan is. And if the tenant doesn't get any uh, legal aid or to help them with that and they can't afford it, like what is going to happen? They, they're going to get kicked out and go where? What are they going right. to do? Um, so I think from a tenant's point of view, that is definitely uh, a scary situation to be going into if you have lost your job. And um, like they say, it's called, we call the eviction bill that people are going to end up losing it and um, losing where they're living, which is definitely scary. Yeah. Have you heard or read? I have not personally seen any um, other than some arrangements we've made through KT Property Management to assist tenants. But are there any repayment plans that you've come across uh, that were proposed or are there any ideas that you would suggest? No, I haven't come across any that were proposed, um, but, you know, I think it comes down to um, if you've got a good tenant in there and a, a decent relationship, the landlord and the tenant finds like meet somewhere in the middle. If the landlord wants to increase it by X amount of dollars, but the tenant can't find some happy medium for that without having to take it further and try right. to work on something. I understand, you know, someone needs places to live and the landlord needs to be paid, but there should be some type of common ground in there and both come together to the table with your proposals and see where you can meet up in the middle. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a chance. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a lot of landlords out there that haven't been paid for three, four months. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? So it's a lot of money depending on the condo. We realist easily seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars $10,000, uh, if not more. So that's yeah. a lot of money to build into your, um, your other payments in order to, pay that off at a reasonable time mm-hmm. so there was one actually i think two instances with tenants in properties that we were managing where they had asked for assistance so there was a couple of scenarios so one of the options we made at that time was we had waived their oh no sorry we cut their 
we cut two payments in half. So they were only responsible for half of the monthly rent for mm-hmm. two months. And the balance of that half for each month, so one full month's rent, came from the last month's rent that was prepaid. And then uh, in one case, the landlord um, agreed that they didn't need to replenish that account. They would just collect the last month's rent whenever that happened to be. And in another case, they would uh, later increase the rent by, I think it was a hundred bucks a month until it was replenished. Okay. So uh, sounds like a scenario that would probably work for a lot of people. I would think so. I mean, the other thing is just being financially responsible as a tenant, like during the COVID crisis, if you're not able to work, make sure you're redirecting your money into the appropriate things. Like, oh, absolutely. you know, I hope you're not ordering in every day and yeah. uh, drinking alcohol, you know, you cut out the things that are unnecessary, focus on the essential stuff. Um, yeah. And that if you're if you're doing anything but that and not paying your rent, completely unacceptable absolutely you know it's funny i saw an article about um from a, a millennial saying that you know unemployed right now and i i don't i can't pay my rent but i can't stop shopping online and i think for a lot of people it's comfort and it makes them feel better momentarily but yeah that's definitely still happening happening where you know they know that they have to save money but there's still that impulse um and people are feeling upset and that's a, their only outlet where you can't go out and do things. So online shopping is the go-to, right? And spending that extra money and ordering skip the dishes, which I've tried before and I really like. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, in those people, I, I get it. it. It's hard to break those habits. Um, yeah. But if, you, if, you're go, if you're doing that, then don't be surprised when you get an eviction notice and don't try to fight it. You made your decision. You know, you have to deal with the consequences no that that's totally true when someone you know says oh well what what was me when really you did put yourself into that situation some of the times for sure yeah and being prepared or having you know a little bit of that savings off to the side anyway to help when not not predicting a pandemic but you know when times get tough it's good to make sure you always have a little bit of money set aside to help ride you out in case you have lost your job or whichever and always be and hopefully it's a bit of a, a, a wake up call for some people who weren't doing that. And that, whether they're renters or homeowners, having that little bit of rainy day money put aside. Yes. And from a landlord's perspective, it's really important to have a slush fund because yeah. there's going to be times when you're not getting rent, be it in between tenants or situations like this where tenants aren't able to pay or tenants refuse to pay. And then there's going to be maintenance repairs and things like that that you need to accommodate tenants for. You know, if there's a problem with something in the house and it affects the tenant's uh, use of the home and and comfort in the home and uh, safety, then it needs to be addressed immediately. You can't let those things go. And there are a lot of stories of landlords that neglect maintenance and let things get uh, out of control and mold and issues like that. That's unacceptable, too. I think those landlords, I think there should be a list. I've always talked about this, having a list of tenants and landlords in a rating system. So both tenants and landlords can go in and see the history on these landlords uh, or tenants and see what their history is like, because there are so many people that are just impossible to track down now. um, And, you know, they're just causing the same problems with the next people. Oh, that's awesome. It's kind of like how you rate your Uber driver. I like that idea. 
for sure. Yeah. I think There's that's a lot really of tenants I would like to provide some feedback on, but I'm not able to right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like that idea. I think that's actually really smart and can save a lot of people a lot of headaches. Yeah, and I think it would force people to stop playing games. Yeah, act like, appropriately. Yeah, stop trying to abuse the system and find loopholes in the system because, you know, you it's unethical and everybody's human and needs to respect the other person on the other end of the transaction. Yeah, I agree. One, one thing I don't agree with that you mentioned earlier in the conversation was that the rent control don't apply to buildings uh, or properties that are significantly renovated after 2018. Mm. Why? I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer. Do you know why on earth a set of rules would apply to one property and not another? My understanding is when the uh, new government took over, the PC government, um, uh, liberals had put in place the rent control and PC government came in. And a lot of it has to do with builders. Builders aren't building um, rental buildings anymore. They're not rental apartment buildings because they're not making any money off of it because the rent is controlled. So in an effort to have builders do just rental buildings, um, that they've put this law into place. To place, but um, myself, I, I don't agree with it. I don't think it's fair for tenants um, at all. But yeah, that's uh, something that came about when the uh, Liberal government left. Yeah, I, I think it's ridiculous, and I think it's only going to cause long-term problems. Yeah, and and it's gonna it's gonna mess up the market in terms of um, affordability from a, a rental perspective and a, a a real estate perspective in terms of. Property values, mm -hmm. but you know, just downright makes no sense. Like, why would any law pertain to one person but not another because of a minor exception? Yeah, and it right. could be a difference of a few months, right? Which is just ludicrous, in all honesty. And like yeah. I, I mentioned before, a lot of people don't know, so they yeah. can get into a rental situation, and then you know, a year, a year later, or almost a year later, turn around, and all of a sudden, they're like, "What's going on?" It is definitely. Yeah. I, I'm actually really surprised that that came into effect. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll change at some point as well. Yeah, because it feels like a huge step backwards to me. It is. Well, and it's like if all of a sudden certain properties don't aren't affected by it, that's what everybody's going to buy and, and rent out. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know, it blows my mind. It's, it causes a lot of questions I can't even convey yeah. them. Necessarily, but um, no, I'm completely surprised by it as well. Yeah, um, and I'm sure it'll be cha it'll change at some point. So it'll be interesting to see how that happens. Um, but the eviction process has been uh, improved. They've had a backlog of um, cases of people waiting to try and get tenants out uh, for legitimate reasons. In many cases, I'd say in most cases, uh, but there's been a lot of complaints about that too. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, you always get some of those scary stories with some of the uh, the renters that you can come across. But I think um, the good outweighs the bad when it comes to that for, you know, landlords looking to invest. Yeah, 100%. I agree. And then we've experienced it on both ends. Um, but I again, I would say in of the hundreds of transactions we've done, 99% of them are good quality tenants and good quality landlords. So the few people that are causing problems, I think is a very small portion of the market. I think that really speaks to all the due diligence that 
uh, the team does trying to find that right tenant for our landlords and all the work that goes into it. It's not looking over paperwork and saying, sounds good. There's so much, um, you know, investigative work that we do on our end to make sure that the person coming in or doing the best we can to make sure the person coming in is a right fit. And um, I see when I'm helping people lease out a place, the landlords, um, they're working with other agents, they're not covering any of the, these things. And then, you know, they could end up with whoever in there. And it's, it's actually quite shocking to me how many uh, people don't do their due diligence with their tenants coming in. Yeah. Well, I think it actually, it goes to both uh, ends of the transaction. I think um, doing our due diligence with finding the right tenants is extremely important. And we've had a lot of podcasts on that. So people are looking for information about how to screen tenants properly and how to interview and how to, you know, what to look for. We've got a ton of blogs and podcasts uh, and video clips on that uh, between our website, YouTube and Instagram. Uh, but also landlords having, especially new landlords, having the right expectations and what their rights are and what the tenants' rights are. So not only finding the right tenant, but educating, I suppose, both parties. So landlords know what they can or cannot do and tenants know what they can or cannot do. Because the moment that they're misinformed uh, or not informed, that's when you have problems. Yeah, I agree. So if a, you know, if a landlord gets into investing, they buy their first property under the pretense that they can just do whatever they want and kick out a tenant. Like there's so many people that I, I'd say almost every single landlord I speak to who wants to sell their house that has a tenant in it, they think they can kick their tenant out to sell it. Yes. Yeah, I think and that's a big question. Yeah, and they had no idea. Like I had uh, someone call me recently who's trying to sell the property um, on their own, and they're having a lot of trouble, and it's tenanted, and the tenant uh, is refusing appointments, uh, and they just they say, "Can I just kick them out?" And the answer is no. You can't just kick them out. Uh, in fact, the only now, uh, even if the new buyer wants to use it for personal use, you have to pay them a month's rent to get them out. Yes, uh, which didn't exist before. Um, so there's a lot of things that people aren't aware of that they need to, because if you're investing in anything and you're not doing your due diligence, shame on you. And if you're the real estate agent, not educating your client, shame on you. Yes. Yeah, so, absolutely. There's a lot of um, kind of the small details that can get missed for sure. hundred percent. Well, that's all I have to say on the uh, topic, but do you have any other questions for me or no, comments I on... No, I, I think that's I uh, shared all my opinions on uh, what I think about the renter situation right now yeah. and things are going. So be curious to see what happens. Next month will be a big uh, tell on the follow if there is one uh, for Bill 184. And uh, now that everything's kind of reopened again. Well, that's what everybody's forecasting is September uh, was going to be a big month because people are going to have to start paying their mortgage payments. Yeah. Tenants are, uh, well, people are, some people are, uh, out of their jobs now, or some people are getting back to work. So a lot of stuff is happening. So the next 60 days is going to be really interesting to see how things play out. Um, yeah. The market seems very strong right now from a rental perspective and a resale perspective. So things are looking good uh, and hopefully it continues that way. But I'm excited to see what happens over the next two months. Yeah, me as well. And I think, you know, everyone's got an opinion and CMHC says a sharp decline and my personal opinion is um, there could be a decline, but I think it's going to be softer, not anything sharp. I, I just don't see that uh, in the cards. So yeah, yeah, we'll see how it plays out and kind of circle back. 
<laughs> All right. Well, good luck with your uh, rental property this week. It'll be interesting oh. to see how that goes. That'll be a, a you know, I think that'll be your first rental uh, where, where we're listing it in the last month or so. So it'll yeah. be interesting to see how that plays out with the amount of interest you get. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great unit and it's in a great spot out there in the Aldershot area. So yeah, it'll be coming up on Friday. Cool. Thanks for joining. All right. That's thanks. Another episode of KT Confidential. If you made it this far, make sure you have subscribed to us on YouTube uh, and or on whatever podcast streaming service you're using. That's it. Have a All good right. day. Thanks, Have Heather. Bye.